So this evening, we are continuing our study in the book of Joshua. We are in Joshua chapter 10. So please open up your Bibles there. I want to start out with one of the key verses that we see here and that we'll look at this evening. And that's in Joshua chapter 10, verse 8. Which says... And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear them, for I have given them into your hands. Not a man of them shall stand before you. Don't you love those words? <clears throat> those, those words, I think we can't hear them enough. We can't be reminded of those words enough. The very words that the Lord himself spoke to Joshua um, when there was a, armies that assembled against them. And against the Gibeonites. So we're going to take a look at that this evening. But I heard a story um, told, and uh, I want to share it with you. Uh, I've shared it before, and and it's one of those stories that I think for us, um, we can probably relate to. Hopefully in the better, not the the other. (laughs) In the positive, not the negative. But there's, there's a man by the name of Robert Dick Wilson. He's a former professor of Hebrew at Princeton University. And 12 years after Donald Gray Barnhouse graduated from Princeton, he was invited back to Princeton uh, to the chapel to, uh, to preach. And so Wilson, one of the professors there, uh, well, he took front row seat and uh, wanted to listen to his former student, Robert Wilson. At the end of the service, the old Hebrew professor came up to Barnhouse and said, quote, If you come back again, I will not come to hear you preach. I only come once. I'm glad that you are a big godder. When my boys come back, I come to see if they are big godders or little godders. And then I know what their ministry will be. Close quote. As any of us would do, Barnhouse asked Wilson to explain. He said, quote, well, some men have a little God, and they are always in trouble with him. They can't do any miracles. He can't take care of, their, of the inspiration of the scriptures and their preservation and transmission to us. They have a little God, and I call them little godders. Then there are those who have a great God. He speaks and it's done. He commands and it stands fast. He knows how to show himself strong on behalf of those who fear him. You have a great God and he will bless your ministry. Close quote. Well, Donald Barnhouse did have a great God. And God did bless his ministry. But we need to be reminded that this is our God too. Not just Donald Barnhouse's, not just Robert Wilson's, but he is ours as well. We need to be reminded of that often. We serve a great God that no matter how improbable victory may look to the world, He is the one who secures victories on our behalf. He chooses whom He wills and chooses how it will be done, no matter what it looks like to the world. As God's people, we can move forward with confidence in Christ. 
Psalm 2, verses 1 through 4 says, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. And I'm reminded of those verses because this is the picture that we see before us with the five kings that gather together to come against the Gibeonites and against the Israelites. God is a great God, and He fights on our behalf. We need to trust Him. We need to know that He is faithful, and He will do just as He said He will do. So let's begin with a word of prayer, and we'll go into our study. Heavenly Father, we thank You, Lord, that there is no one like You. There is truly no one like you. No one compares to you. There's none greater than you. You are worthy of our worship and praise and honor, all the glory. And so I ask, Father, that you would, Lord, just um, reinforce that in each and every one of us. I pray, Lord, that you would fill us with your spirit, that you would give us understanding. And Lord, that you would stir us up, Father, in a way that we would be moved by you and not our circumstances. That, Lord, we would advance with confidence in you, knowing that as we walk with you, there is none that will be able to stand against us and before us. No one because we're walking in your divine footsteps. And so, Lord, we commit this evening into your hands, Lord. We ask your blessing. We ask, Lord, that you would give us understanding. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Joshua chapter 10, verse 1 says, As soon as Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, heard how Joshua had captured Ai and had devoted it to destruction, doing to Ai and its king as he had done to Jericho and its king, and how the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel and were among them, he feared greatly. Because Gibeon was a great city, like one of the royal cities. And because it was greater than Ai, and all its men were warriors. So Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, sent to Hoham, the king of Hebron, to Piram, king of Jarmuth, to Jephiah, king of Lachish, and to Debir, king of Eglon, saying, Come up to me and help me, and let us strike Gibeon. For it has made peace with Joshua and with the people of Israel. Then the five kings of the Amorites, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, and the king of Eglon, gathered their forces and went up with all their armies and encamped against Gibeon and made war against it. Now, just a little geography. Jerusalem is situated south-southwest of Gilgal where the Israelites were camped out. Their military headquarters uh, was Gilgal. That's where they um, came out from. That's where they regrouped. Um, So Gilgal was their headquarters. Gibeon is located west-southwest of Ai. The Israelites' last battle and conquest. The Canaanites knew that the Israelites would continue to drive south. We see here that one king in particular had heard of the heard of the the complete destruction that the Israelites had delivered upon Ai and Jericho. 
and heard how the Gibeonites had joined forces with the Israelites, making peace with them, making a covenant with them, and this made him very fearful. Adonai Zedek was fearful because Gibeon was, uh, was larger. It was, it was a, a group of warriors. Um, it was just stronger all the way around than Ai even. And remember that Ai initially had defeated the Israelites. And so they heard how Israel came back and defeated Ai as they did to Jericho. And this brought great fear upon Adonai Zedek. It's, uh, it's interesting, though, that in the original language, Giborim is used to describe these men, which means mighty men, of hero, mighty men or, or heroes. Um, and that speaks of Gibeon. Now, let me just share something with you about last week, so, uh, which I think is important. I was asked a question afterwards because someone said, well, I'm kind of um, confused here because you had referred to the Gibeonites, but then when... Uh, Joshua was confronted, um, he was told this. He said, but in verse 7 of chapter 9, and, and, and I'll put this together, but the men of Israel said to the Hivites, perhaps you live among us. So there being, what was being referenced are the Gibeonites, and yet the men of Israel had referred to them as Hivites. So the question was, before you find it too, and then... Come ask me, right? So what does that mean? So it caused me, and then this is what questions like that make you do. They make you go into Scripture. That's a good question, right? Why, it, how, why is it that the Gibeonites were referred to as Hivites? Well, Gibeon was a region and was comprised of several cities. So it was the region of Gibeon. And according to, I believe it's uh, chapter 11, verse 19, there was not a city that made peace with the people of Israel except the Hivites, the inhabitants of Gibeon. Oh, there's our answer, right? There were a portion of Hivites, uh, only some of them, that were living in the area of, of Gibeon. And so therefore, they could also be referred to as Hivites. Uh, it'd be like someone who is uh, a native of Texas, let's say, living in L.A. And although they're Texans, um, they can be referred to as Texans, but they're also, uh, what do they call them in L.A.? Angelinos. Angelinos, that's right. Or weirdos. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Angelinos, though, Yes. And I'm just joking, okay? <laughs> um, so so that, was, that was a great question. And it, like I said, it caused me to go back and kind of look through Scripture and find out exactly why it is that they were referred to as Hivites. Now, the people in this area, in this region, were known to be great warriors. They were a strong people. And this word describes these men as mighty men or heroes. You know, uh, if we uh, consider the movies that we see, you know, the, the reference to heroes are, are big, strong people that usually save others and, you know, they save the world, right? So we just know them being mighty men, and that's what they were. They were regarded as, you can say, special forces who were versatile and agile military assets capable of delivering effects dis 
proportionate to their size. You know, um, special forces, they're trained in such a way that that's exactly what they do when they go in. Uh, A team of uh, 12 to 15 uh, can do sometimes what an army of 100 or 150 can do. Now, Gibeon had in their position some great warriors. And they just crossed over and joined forces with the Israelites. The very people that had come to conquer the land and had come to possess now Ai and Jericho. They made a covenant with them. And so they joined forces with Israel. Israel now was in the position to where they were accountable for them. Well, these five kings quickly came against them um, before they could build up strength, before they could build up their resources and come together and organize. It's shown here that although the Gibeonites had joined forces with the Israelites, they weren't physically with them in Gilgal, but rather they remained in the area of Gibeon. And this was seen as an opportunity for some of the armies of the land to join together, to ally, and take them out. They, they definitely did not want the Israelite army to gain power, especially bringing Gib- the Gibeonites together along with them. So King Adonai Zedek requested help from uh, the other kings, uh, noted here, explaining to them that Gibeon had made peace with Joshua and the people of Israel. They quickly assembled and attacked Gibeon. So they were united. They were coming against Gibeon, which was now an ally of Israel. Although the enemy, and we know as we read through, that the enemy feared greatly, the enemy strategized and came up against the one who had come alongside the Israelites. We need to understand that Satan and his demons fear God. They know God. They fear God. And they tremble. And yet that doesn't stop them from assembling against God's people. And doing everything they can to destroy and devour them. We should never forget things like that. To where we always are aware, we're clear-minded, uh, we're watchful. In fact, it says in 1 Peter 5.8, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, lion seeking someone to devour. That's what he does. So, so for us, we should always be aware. Be mindful. Just know, I mean, we're not paranoid, but at the same time, we know, hey, listen, he's always out to get us. He's fearful of God. And yet he still organizes the fallen angels, the demons. They come together and they want to destroy you. They're they're not friendly. The world is not friendly. The flesh is not friendly. And it's for that reason that we should always be on our toes. Always ready. Because the enemy is always seeking to find someone that is off guard and just wreak havoc on them, devour them, confuse them, bring them down in some way, shape, or form. 
For the Gibeonites, I imagine that this must have been a frightful sight to behold. Uh, from the south, they see in the distance this cloud of dust rising. They know what that means. That, that means that a, a very large group is coming toward them. They soon realize it's this big army coming up against them. Verse 6, as we continue, it says, And the men of Gibeon sent to Joshua at the camp in Gilgal, saying, Do not relax your hand from your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us and help us. For all the kings of the Amorites who dwell in the hill country are gathered against us. So Joshua went up from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him, and all the mighty men of valor. And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear them, for I have given them into your hands. Not a man of them shall stand before you. The Gibeonites didn't know how many gathered together. They said all the kings of the Amorites who dwell in the hill country are gathered against us. All they saw was a mass coming against them. For them, it very well could have been just all, all of the kings. They've, they've all gathered together. They're all coming against us. That's what it looked like. For them, that's what it was. For them, it was more than what they could handle. They admitted it, and they called on Joshua, trusting in the promise to protect them in case of an attack. They were now their allies. They made this covenant of peace. Here's a powerful lesson for us. When, not if. When we get into situations where we are overwhelmed... The question is, are we too prideful to admit we can't do it in our own strength and cry out to our Yeshua, our Jesus, our Lord, our God? King David would cry out to the Lord, the man after God's own heart. There are repeated phrases through the Psalms of David saying things like, I cried to the Lord with my voice. My voice you shall hear in the morning, O Lord. For the Lord has heard the voice of my weeping. The thing with David is that the Lord heard his voice often, crying out to him, pleading with him, looking to him, desiring him above all else. The Gibeonites asked Joshua to save them and entrusted their burdens to Joshua, and he proved himself faithful. You see, Joshua is a picture of Jesus, and there are many important principles to take from just even verse 6. First of all, they cried out. They said, do not forsake your servants. Do not relax your hand from your servants. And God said to Joshua and the people in Joshua 1.9, Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. And do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. See, the Gibeonites were trusting that the character of Israel's God was reflected in his people, and they too would not forsake them. Joshua had made that agreement, and now Gibeon was drawing upon it, and, reminded, and they reminded Joshua of that. And Joshua... Well, he didn't turn their back on them. He honored, and he was honored. He didn't forsake them. 
Secondly, they cried out to Joshua asking him to come quickly to them and to save them and, and to help them. It, it, was, it was a position of humility. Psalm 46.1 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. And in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, it says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What we come to know is that the Gibeonites trusted that Joshua would come through for them. That's what they were counting on. They called on him. And they trusted in his help. And I believe that that's what God desires of us. That we should humble ourselves before him. That we should cry out to him. And trust in his help. Calling out to Jesus in all circumstances. And we know that he will help. Joshua made good with his promise to the Gibeonites and went to protect them immediately. He did, did, he did not think about it. He did not have to pray. He didn't hesitate. Nothing at all. Immediately, he stood up and he honored his word. Once again, God encourages Joshua with words affirming him of the promise he had made to Joshua back in chapter 1. Not only did the Gibeonites trust in Joshua, a godly man, but in turn we have Israel's leader trusting in God, showing his trust by how he acted on what he was told by the Lord. James says that faith without works is dead. And the expression of our faith is displayed in the actions we take according to the word of God because we trust that what he tells us is truth. And so we receive it in faith. There, there comes a point to where we just know God is faithful. We, we've, we've seen enough. We just know. And so therefore we act. And that's how we express our faith. And as we express our faith in action, we are demonstrating our love toward the Lord. Jesus said, if you love me, obey my commandments. And so that's faith in action, following through. There, it's, it's such so powerful when God's people act on His promises together. It's powerful when one person does, but, but it's much more powerful when there's a whole fellowship of God's people acting in faith, knowing that He is good on what he says. Oh, that's powerful. So that's what the Gibeonites were doing. They were trusting that Joshua would follow through with what he had said, and he did. They trusted in Joshua, and Joshua trusted in his God. Verse 9, let's continue. So Joshua came upon them suddenly, having marched up, all night from Gilgal, and the Lord threw them into a panic before Israel, who struck them with a great blow at Gibeon, and chased them by the way of the ascent of Beth Haran, and struck them as far as 
Asica and Makeda. Let's stop there just for a second. Uh, God had told Joshua not to fear and that the enemy had been delivered into his hands. In other words, God told Joshua what the future held. The Lord, being omniscient, being outside of the controls or confines of time, was able to tell Joshua that he had gone, that he had gone before him. And the battle's already won. It's done. It's completed. I've delivered them into your hands. Past tense. Amazing. And it hadn't happened yet. Israel is victorious. And Joshua believed God. Because Joshua acted on this promise, on his word. He didn't stop, sit down, and ask God to give him a clear sign that this was indeed true. Joshua simply believed God and moved forward with confidence to take the enemy out. I I love that kind of confidence. Just move forward. This is what he said. Advance. Go march. I have no doubt that Joshua and his men were dead tired by the time they reached Gibeon. Get this. You know, they, they marched all night. But you know how far it was that they marched? 20 miles. 20 miles. 20 miles. This wasn't just a, like an Uber drive. This wasn't, you know, even a bike ride. This was marching on foot. And, and we need to also understand, they were ready for battle. That means that they weren't empty-handed. They weren't wearing light clothing and, um, you know, just kind of jogging along. No, they had their armor. They had their battle gear. They had their swords. They had everything with them. And they had just marched 20 miles. If that isn't enough... Guess what the ascent was? 3,300 feet. So 20 miles at a steady incline. Imagine that. I have no doubt that they were dead tired by the time they got there. And check out what they did as soon as they got there. Immediately... Immediately, they engaged the enemy. Immediately, they attacked the five kings. They did not wait. They they didn't have time to rest. Immediately, they engaged the enemy. When I read this initially and uh, had gone through, I remember there was a moment to where it was like, wow. That, that was To me, that was amazing. It was one of those moments to where, you know, if, if you're a service member, there's battle cries. No. Hoorah. Hoo-yah. Hoo-ah. Right? It's, and you just want to like, just at the top of your lungs at this point. You do. Because, I mean, you get like goosebumps. You're like, why? Because these men were ready to battle. They weren't ready to rest. They were ready to battle and battle now. And that's what they did. As soon as they got there, there was no time to rest. 
It's when you're dead tired and the odds are seemingly against the soldier that trust in what you know to work has to kick in and your confidence has to go way up. You have to rely on it. Do it. For this situation with the Israelites, yes, the soldiers that went with Joshua were considered to be an elite force. And they were definitely trained for combat. But remember back in chapter 5, where the commander of the army of the Lord came and said that he was there to make sure God's plans were fulfilled. I love it. That's the commander. That's our commander. He's there to make sure that the Lord's plans are fulfilled. Who, who do you think went before them? God said, I have given them into your hands. I've gone before you. And in verse 10, we read that the Lord threw them into a panic before Israel. The Lord did those things. It was the commander of the Lord's army and the actual divine army that took care of things. And if Joshua and his army wanted to follow suit, then they would be blessed through simply being obedient and would be a witness to some amazing action on the part of God. Amazing things before them. All they had to do is participate. According to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, there's a spiritual war that's going on. And we're enlisted in God's army and we're part of it. In a large sense, we, we have been declared war against. And we are to have faith in our commander and his orders and his promises. Let's put on the full armor of God as described in Ephesians 6 and move ahead with confidence in the Lord. And now, Joshua at this point surprises the enemy. No doubt they weren't expecting, wow, you marched 20 miles to get here and engage us. We weren't expecting that. We were expecting to rout the Gibeonites before you got here. So we could take them out first and then we'll go and attack you. And even though the Israelites were tired, they killed a multitude of the enemy there in Gibeon. But some of the men were getting away. And so Israel chased them down the road to Makeda and laid out a trail of the enemy along this path. But here's where God intervenes for the Israelites once more. Remember, He went before them. There's more to it. Verse 11, let's continue reading. It says, And as they fled before Israel, while they were going down the ascent of Beth Haran, the Lord threw down large stones from heaven on them as far as Asika, and they died there were more who died because of the hailstones than the sons of Israel killed with the sword. At that time, Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord gave the Amorites over to the sons of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, Sun, stand still at Gibeon, and moon in the valley of Aijalon. And the sun stood still, and the moon stopped until the nation took vengeance on their enemies. Is this not written in the book of Jeshar? The sun, uh, the sun stopped in the midst of heaven and did not hurry to set for about a whole day. There has been no day like it before or since when the Lord heeded the voice of a man, 
for the Lord fought for Israel. So Joshua returned and all Israel with him to the camp at Gilgal. It's one of those situations where you think that you're making great headway with something that you're dealing with. Little victories that you're seeing as great victories. Little steps that are leading to successful accomplishments. And then God seemingly just lifts you up and places you at the finish line. You wonder, oh, how, how did I get here? You know, how did I get here? God is capable of divinely stepping into your life and making things happen that are just plain inexplicable. It causes you to stop in awe of the Lord and fall on your face in praise and worship. That's really what those things should do. I've seen that with marriages. I've seen that with health issues. I've seen that with relationships and many other areas of life. Can you imagine being one of the Israelites that that were on that chase? And all of a sudden, a hailstorm erupts from heaven, sending these these stones, perhaps the size of softballs, I don't know, down on the earth at just a, a deadly speed. And each one hitting one of your enemy perfectly, with such accuracy that nothing's wasted. On anyone or anything else. I, I couldn't imagine being part of the army of the, uh, the Israelite army and seeing this happen. Wow. They're all just, we're running by them now. We're chasing them, but we're running by them. Boom, down, boom, down, boom, down, boom, 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 boom. And you're like, wow. And then you realize that God took out more of this army than the combined effort in Gibeon and on the road down the ascent. Like, wow. What happened here? All you can say is, praise God. Thank you. I believe God does that from time to time with you and I. Just as we are faithful, there are certain things that just happen. Like, how... How are these things happening the way they're, they're happening? You know? Yes, I put effort into it. I'm here. I'm, I'm engaged. I'm in the battle. But things are just happening in such a way that I, it's inexplicable. How? Thunderous clouds deliver a storm like never before. When you lift your eyes to the heavens after the storm passes by, you too realize that your enemies have been taken out and you can only give credit to God for having done the work. Truly, God fights on our behalf, is what we see here. Now, according to Chuck Smith in one of his commentaries, he says, quote, In ancient world history, there was a long afternoon or morning as it related to their location at that time of Joshua. Interesting, right? The records of the Indians in Central America state there was a strange day when the sun only came up to the horizon for a whole day without coming up, close quote. And it's recorded. Interesting. 
to the horizon. Well, they didn't have much sun, right? In Central America, apparently they, they didn't have much sun. Well, we know who was hogging up all the sun. It was Joshua. It was Joshua. There is uh, much debate as to the validity of this miracle and how it could happen. Without bringing, of course, destruction to the whole earth and the people within it. But I believe God can suspend while preserving. He's God. He's the creator. Uh, He is preserving life even now. So why couldn't he suspend that which he has set as a law and at the same time preserve life? I believe my God can do that. I believe he did do that. And it's even recorded as strange from some Indians in Central America because it did happen. If the God we believe in cannot make something like this happen, suspend the very laws that He enacted, then something is too hard for Him. Something is too hard for Him. And we know that nothing is too hard for Him, according to Scripture. Jeremiah thirty-two seventeen says, O Lord God, behold, You have made the heavens and the earth by Your great power and outstretched arm. There is nothing too hard for you. Warren Wiersbe says, quote, Why try to explain away a miracle? What do we prove? Certainly not that we're smarter than God. Either we believe in a God who can do anything, or we must accept a Christian faith that's non-miraculous, and that does away with the inspiration of the Bible, the virgin birth, the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. Close quote. If God can do this, then He can change whatever you're dealing with in your own life. That's, if He can stop the, the sun from... Well, we, we know that the sun revolves around the earth, right? No, we're not the center of the universe. The sun is. It's the solar system, right? If He can stop all of that from continuing its movement... Certainly he can deal with our problems, right? But you know, he's already dealt with them. It's called the Word of God. We just need to believe him. Just as Joshua believed him, told him, this this is what has already happened. The Lord has laid laid out in his Word. And he's addressed everything in Jesus Christ. As Peter wrote that everything pertaining to life and godliness is found in Jesus Christ. We just need to believe it. We just need to actually do it. Regardless of whether anyone else agrees or does not agree, it really doesn't matter. I'm not asking for permission. If anyone else uh, would, do you believe me? Well, no, and therefore I believe? No, I'm, I'm not asking for their permission to believe. I simply believe. You see, I'm responsible for my action the way I express myself to the Lord and worship Him and give Him praise in my own life. I don't ask anyone else for permission. I simply worship the Lord. Come along. Believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God and you know not only salvation, but you'll, you'll know 
where wisdom comes from. You'll know where to get the answers. You know who you can cast all your burdens upon because he cares. You'll, you'll know a true peace, a, new, uh, a true hope. He can deal with anything in your life. But the one thing that he desires to deal with most is, is your salvation. First and foremost. And then to learn of him and obey what he says through the word, because nothing is too hard for God. Joshua had not asked for God to do the fighting for him. Just know that. He didn't ask him for that. He was just asking for more time. I love that. Josh, I just... Make the sun stand still. Please, we need more time. Look, they're running away, right? We have more to take out. Well, God gave Joshua more time and he fought on his behalf. And some of our days can be like that which Joshua referred to as there was a day that, uh, like no other day before it or since. Now, there are those days to where we should look at and go, there's been... No other day like it before or since. Just an amazing day. Today was it. Absolutely amazing. God is amazing. Well, it's a wonderful account of God's power and faithfulness to His people. And then we see finally, and we're going to go through the the remainder of this chapter as we'll see what happened as the Israelites continued to advance. Verse 16, read with me please. These five kings fled and hid themselves in the cave of Makeda. And it was told to Joshua the five kings have, found, have been found hidden in the cave at Makeda. And Joshua said, roll large stones against the mouth of the cave and set men by it to guard them. But do not stay there yourselves. Pursue your enemies, attack their rear guard. Do not let them enter their cities, for the Lord your God has given them into your hand. When Joshua and the sons of Israel had finished striking them with a great blow until they were wiped out, and when the remnant that remained of them had entered into the fortified cities, then all the people returned safe to Joshua in the camp at Makeda. Not a man moved his his tongue against any of the people of Israel." Verse 22, Then Joshua said, Open the mouth of the cave and bring those five kings out to me from the cave. And they did so and brought those five kings out to him from the cave. The king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, and the king of Eglon. And when they brought those kings out to Joshua, Joshua summoned all the men of Israel and said to the chiefs of the men of war who had gone with him, Come near. Put your feet on the necks of these kings. Then they came near and put their feet on their necks. And Joshua said to them, Do not be afraid or dismayed. Be strong and courageous, for thus the Lord will do to all your enemies against whom you fight. And afterward Joshua struck them and put them to death, and he hanged them on five trees. And they hung on on the trees until evening. But at the time of the going down of the sun, Joshua commanded, and they took them down from the trees and threw them into the cave where they had hidden themselves. And they set large stones against the mouth of the cave, which remain to this very day. As for Makeda, Joshua captured it on that day and struck it, it and its king, with the edge of the sword. He devoted to destruction every person in it. He left none remaining, 
And he did to the king of Makeda just as he had done to the king of Jericho. And then we have further conquest. Verse 29. Then Joshua and all Israel with him passed on from Makeda to Libna and fought against Libna. And the Lord gave it also... Uh, gave it also and its king into the hand of Israel. And he struck it with the edge of the sword and every person in it. He left none remaining in it. And he did to its king as he had done to the king of Jericho. Then Joshua and all Israel with him passed on from Libna to Lachish and laid siege to it and fought against it. And the Lord gave Lachish into the hand of Israel and he captured it on the second day and struck it with the edge of the sword and every person in it as he had done to Libna. Then Horam, king of Gezer, came up to help Lachish, and Joshua struck him and his people until he left none remaining. Then Joshua and all Israel with them passed on from Lachish to Eglon, and they laid siege to it and fought against it. And they captured it on that day and struck it with the edge of the sword, and he devoted every person in it to destruction that day, as he had done to Lachish. Then Joshua and all Israel with him went up from Eglon to Hebron, and they fought against it and captured it and struck it, with the, struck it with the edge of the sword. And its king and its towns and every person in it, he left none remaining as he had done to Eglon and devoted it to destruction and every person in it. Then Joshua and all Israel with them turned back to Debir and fought against it. And he captured it with its king and all its towns. And they struck them with the edge of the sword and devoted to destruction every person in it He left none remaining, just as he had done to Hebron and to Libnon and its king, so he did to Debir and to its king. And this is just summarizing everything. Verse 40, So Joshua struck the whole land, the hill country and the Negev, and the low land and the slopes and all their kings. He left none remaining but devoted to destruction all that breathed, just as the Lord God of Israel commanded. And Joshua struck them with, uh, from Kadesh Barnea as far as Gaza and all the country of Goshen, Goshen as far as Gibeon. And Joshua captured all these kings and their land at one time because the Lord God of Israel fought for Israel. Then Joshua returned and all Israel with him to camp at Gilgal. So they kept, went back to headquarters. Now, the statement uh, that they had captured all these kings in their land at one time. It was, it was just co- continuous. It went from one to the next to the next. And, and that's why it reads that way. There, there was no pause in between. It was battle after battle after battle after battle after battle. You could say that after the main resistance was broken and dealt with, that the rest of the opposition was pretty much swept up. The Israelites moved quickly from city to city, destroying the enemy. The Lord was handing the the enemy over to them. Just one after the other. But it's interesting that these kings that were captured initially, the five kings... Remember, they were captured. These were great prizes. Amazing. We captured the kings. Joshua didn't even let that distract him. He says, throw them into the cave, put a stone in front of them, set a guard with them, but you guys keep going. 
Don't, don't stop here and, and, and announce to the world that you have captured these five kings. That means nothing. Why? Because there's more before us. That which the Lord has called us to is to completely come in and take out the rest of these enemies. The rest of the people of this land. And they went one by one. And they continued to do that which, what, that which they were called to do by the Lord. Joshua if you notice, he was, he was teaching his leaders along the way how to continue on, how to persevere. He even brought them in and told them, come, once they had taken the five kings out, come, put your feet on their necks. Okay. What, what is that? What does that mean? Um... When have you ever seen those those pictures of, of people on top of mountains and they put their foot on top of the the tall rock and it boom they set the flag. We have conquered. We have overcome. We've gained victory. We've accomplished. And so that's a picture of that very thing. And with that, he, he told Joshua was telling. These men, he said, do not be afraid or dismayed. Be strong and courageous, for thus the Lord will do to all your enemies against whom you fight. He wanted to set before them an example. God is good. His promises are solid. At this very moment, this is evidence of it. We ought to just stop for a moment at times and just, just praise God. And to point toward things, events, situations in our lives and in the life of this church and just say, God is faithful. See? He is amazing. See? He's truly wonderful. Do you see it? Now Joshua conquered the land in a short period of time without a single loss to Israel. Isn't that amazing? A single loss? Not one. In a matter of, of weeks, as he went from one to the other to the other, and then returning back to Gilgal, all of these victories were before him. And then at some point, behind him. It was a consistent battle before them, but one by one the enemy fell. Joshua did not let his hand up. I love the persistence. I love the consistency. I love the passion and the confidence in the Lord. It, it's just inspiring. It, in, it encourages everyone. As you see someone just, just continue. They, they don't stop. You, you look over, every once in a while you look over and they're like, they, they're just still going. You get busy about whatever it is that you're doing in life, and, and then you look over at some point. You think, well, they're, they're just still going. They're still going. That, that's encouraging. You have no idea. Your life, if you're consistent with the Lord, if you're persistent, if you're passionate, 
about the things of the Lord, if you desire the things of the Lord, if you have confidence in the Lord, and you demonstrate it in your life, you have no idea how many lives you're impacting. You have no idea. At the same time, if you let up, you have no idea how many lives you're impacting. I would hate to be the cause of someone else letting up. And yet, I know, because I've heard it from people, oh, I'm discouraged. Why? Well, because I've seen so many people just kind of let up. Well, that means that basically you've succumbed to the desires of the flesh. That's what you've done. But you've been encouraged by so many people that have disappointed you, right? Well, get your eyes off of other people and get them on the Lord. Man up, woman up. Christian up. Christianity is supposed to be one that we follow Christ, right? We, we deny ourselves. We pick up our cross and follow Bettina. No? And follow Rachel. No? We follow Ray, Stephen, Darcy. Who, who, who do we follow? Get your eyes off of them! Get your eyes on the Lord. And you'll encourage so many other people. That's our problem, by the way. That's, a, that's part of the problem of, of believers, of people. We have on other people, oh, well, so-and-so. Stop. Stop it. We're following Christ all together. Let's encourage each other in doing so. We were not going to do it perfectly, but be an encourager by living a life that is given consistently to the pursuit of God in everything, in every part of your life. Serving Him, blessing Him. <clears throat> it's when we're most closely walking with the Lord in complete trust of Him and allowing Him to go before us that things some, sometimes we can look back and there's not a day like it before or after. It's just a, a wonderful time. Why? Because things start falling into place. You're at peace. That's what you come to know. You know this peace. Because it's not that you won't have battles, you will. But even though you battle, you will never be defeated without advancing in His will. Remember, just as the Lord God of Israel fought for Israel, so does He fight on your behalf as well. But you are to act on His word, believe in Him, and trust in Him. Like the Gibeonites, and in closing, when there's nowhere else to turn, when you realize that you're overwhelmed, destruction is before you, make sure you cry out to the Lord. Cry out to Joshua. Learn to call upon the Lord. Learn to trust in His Word. Learn to give all your burdens to Him. Have confidence in the Lord. Now looking back, Joshua can remember God's words. You know, after all is said and done, Going back to Gilgal. That's why when we come together on Sunday to worship, we should come like this is our Gilgal. This is our place where we can look back. We, we've done battles the whole, the whole week, right? Because we battle. And we too can remember God's words and then sing His praises. Worship Him. And be encouraged just a little bit more. Because 
I have no doubt that Joshua remembered these words. And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear them, for I have given them into your hands. Not a man of them shall stand before you. And they didn't. Father, we are so thankful. Lord, that you remind us that, just as we have seen this evening, that as the Israelites went into the promised land, that there were battles before them, that the enemy would come against them. And yet you have, you, you told Joshua, you've gone before him, you've gone before them. The victory is secure, they just need to believe it and, and move forward with confidence as they did. Lord, I pray that you would remind us of that in our very own lives. We do not, we do not go forward to victory. Lord, you, you told us, Lord, in this, in this world we will have tribulation. We will experience it. But you tell us to not, not lose heart. Do not be discouraged. Do not doubt. Because you have conquered. You have overcome. We thank you, Lord. For there is none that could stand against you. And so help us, Lord, to walk once more in those footsteps that you have ordained for us to walk. That we would walk in step with you and know that we can walk with confidence. May we simply believe. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.